Welcome to Seven Mile Ministry. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, well, here we go. Um, Facebook Live is our first time to go Facebook Live. And um, just appreciate everybody tuning in and uh, watching this morning. We're going to go to the Word of God this morning and uh, share a little bit about um, what's on my heart. There's a... there's so much going on right now, so many different thoughts. And um, I want to I carry us to the book of Exodus. And I want to uh, share a story from the children of Israel delivered out of Egypt. I'm going to start right there. And a lot of people are familiar with this you know, story in the Bible. I've read it many times, heard it preached many times. But uh, there's also many that don't know the story. So I'm going to teach it as if. You don't know it, okay? So, uh, God's people, the Hebrews, which we call the children of Israel, and uh, they're in they're in slavery, they're in bondage for hundreds of years, and so um, the Egyptians um, were just, you know, the the taskmasters, the uh, the overseers of the the slaves. They were just uh, coming down on them harder and harder. And um, so Pharaoh sent out and said he wanted all the male children to be cast into the river. And there was a child, his name was Moses, and most everybody's heard of Moses, but Moses' mom took him and made a little raft, a little boat, what we would call it, out of bulrush and puts him in the river because, of course, she didn't have the heart to kill her son. Who would? And she floats him down the river well, Pharaoh's daughter and their maids are out by the river, and uh, they see it, and they go get it, and they open it up, and there's a baby that starts crying, and she named the, the, Mos- named the baby Moses, which means to be drawn out, and she took him in to keep, her, keep him you know, as her own child and to raise him. So here's Moses, um, a Hebrew, was born into slavery, but now he's floated down the river, brought out, now he's living in, in an Egyptian palace. He grows up there. He's got everything that you could want. I mean, he went. He goes from a slave to growing up in a, uh, I guess you'd say, a, a billionaire, trillionaire's home in, in the palace. Pharaoh's daughter. So um, he's got access to uh, education that the world, none of the other known world, even knows about. And uh, so this is where their Moses grows up. We'll fast forward till now Moses is a grown man. And he's out one day and he sees these, uh, the taskmasters beating on um, his people and beating on the slaves. And so he intervenes and he ends up killing, killing the man. And he buries the man in the sand uh, in fear, obviously, so that he you know, wouldn't get caught by Pharaoh. He's fearing his life and he buries the man in the sand and, and, and he hides him. And then uh, uh, shortly thereafter, he's out there again, and some of his own people, the Hebrews, they're arguing, and they're fighting amongst themselves, and he intervenes to try to break that up. And they said, what are you going to do, kill us and bury us in the sand like you did the last guy? So in fear, he runs. He runs away from everything he had known and runs out into the wilderness in fear of his life. And um, I say this, you need to be careful as to what you do, because you'll be remembered for what you did. 
they were quick to remember the bad thing he did and bring it up to his remembrance that, yeah, you killed the last guy, you're going to kill us too. So Moses finds himself out here in the wilderness. And you're talking about a guy that's been raised up with the greatest education. He's got gold rings, nice clothes, um, just the finest of everything. And now he's out here in a barren, dry land. And all the stuff that, that, that he's got available to him, everything he knows is useless. Absolutely useless. He runs into a man named Jethro that later becomes his father-in-law. And Jethro starts teaching him how to survive out here in this land. He starts teaching him how to tend the flock, the sheep, and um, teaching him what to drink, what not to drink, where to get food, what not to eat, uh, how to deal with all the serpents out there, how to protect yourself from the sun and all the elements. Now, you're talking about somebody that's well-educated and, like I said, grew up in the palace. He's a, a rich boy. And now he's out here in the wilderness. He goes from uh, the palace to out here tending sheep. And I just want to stop right there for a moment because uh, Moses wasn't arrogant about it. He wasn't prideful, but he humbled himself because he found himself in a new arena in life. And let me tell you, the nice clothes wasn't helping him. The gold rings wasn't helping him. The education he had wasn't helping him. And you can just stop right there for a moment. What The situation we're in right here uh, in America, um, everybody's, you know, in fear and concerned and a lot of uh, uncertainty about this uh, virus, education is not going to help you. And money, it's not going to help you. And survival techniques, sure, I know how to uh, hunt and fish and build things and do things. You know what? That doesn't help anything with this virus. So you find yourself in a new arena of life, and you need to humble yourself and say, you know, maybe I need to learn something just like Moses did. And what I mean by that is everything that you know or have been taught or that you fall back on, rely on, whether it's your education or your own strengths or your your money, it's just not going to help you. So you may have found yourself in a new arena here lately, and I just encourage you to fall back on the only thing that will help you, and that's the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And to dig into the Word of God and find out about faith and find out what belongs to you and find out who He is and find out who He said you are. And that He'll uh, do what He said He would do and that you can do what He said you can do. And that may be a new area for some of you. And um, if not, it's an opportunity to apply what you do know. We've been studying in faith for years now. Years and years. And I've seen people go through trials. I've seen marriage situations. I've seen people get sick. And I've seen people have financial situations. I guess I've seen a little bit of everything in other people's lives and, and as well as my own over the years. But I would say this is the first time that I've seen uh, everyone affected at the exact same time. I mean, we're all right here on the field together. We've been practicing for years. But now it's game time, and what I mean by that is it's time to apply what you've learned. And it's, what that means is it's time to stand on faith, not to get over into fear, but to stand on the Word of God. And don't let anything knock you off of it. Amen? So Moses is out here with his father-in-law, and uh, he's out tending the sheep one day, and there's a bush, a burning bush. 
And Moses goes over to the burning bush, and the burning bush speaks to him. It's God speaking to him through the bush, and he tells Moses, he says, I want to use you to deliver my people. He says, I've heard their cries. I've seen their affliction. I'm going to use you to deliver my people. So obviously we don't have time to go over every uh, detail of this entire story, scripture by scripture, word by word. I mean, verse by verse and word by word, or we'd be here for quite a while. It's in the book of Exodus, so you can get your Bible out and read it and get all the uh, details there yourself. But um, God tells him to go before Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to turn his people, to let his people go. So Moses and Aaron go up and uh, go to Pharaoh. Obviously, Pharaoh don't want to hear anything about it. Pharaoh's heart's hardened. And um, they have a little showdown there where Moses throws his rod down. It turns into a snake. And then Pharaoh's magicians throws theirs down. It turns into a snake. And uh, Moses' snake eats their snake. And and Moses goes back. And each time he goes back, he tells Pharaoh to turn my people loose. You know, that God said to turn my people loose. And each time, Pharaoh's heart grows harder and harder. And um, there was ten plagues. The first, the first plague was... Uh, Moses turned the water into uh, blood, and everything in the river died. Let me stop there for a moment and say that was the first thing that Moses did was turn the water into blood, which was under the Old Covenant, but under the New Covenant, the first thing Jesus did was turn the water into wine, which was a celebration of life. So aren't you glad you're in the New Covenant? Amen on that. So the next plague was frogs, and frogs come up out of the rivers and come in, into their homes, come everywhere, just frogs everywhere, and then the next plague was lice, and then there was uh, the livestock pestilence, and there was flies, um, bowls, just covered up with bowls, and with each time, like I said, Pharaoh's heart just grows harder and harder. Then there was hail that just destroyed everything, locusts, and then darkness all over the land, with each one, there's nine of them now, his heart's just growing harder and harder. But this is where God pulls his trump card. And he tells his people, he says, what I want you to do is take the blood, take a lamb, um, take the blood, apply it to the doorpost, apply it to the lintel. So the doorpost right there of each and every one of them's home, they took and applied the blood to the doorpost. Now, we know what the results of that were what that was, but then you'd have to think, um, it sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? But these people, putting their faith in God that he would do what he said he would do, applied the blood to the doorpost of their homes. And so that night, the death angel, this was the tenth plague, come through the land. And so the firstborn um, of the entire land was um, died that night. Firstborn of everybody who didn't have the blood applied to the doorpost. So here's how I see it. I see it as the death angel coming through the land, and as it's just taking a stroll down the street, and looking in the, just looking in the doors and looking in, inside the homes of each house there. I say every house that had the blood applied to the doorpost. That when the death angel looked in, God was sitting in there, going, "Not this house. You can't come up in this house." So what I want to encourage you to do today. As soon as this message is over, you can do it right now. But the spiritual leader of the home, it should be the man, but there's a lot of women that are the spiritual leaders because that's what my wife was for about 13 years before I manned up. But regardless, 
the man or the woman, or do it together. That would be even better. But you need to go to the door of your home right now today. And just say, I plead the blood of Jesus over this doorpost right here, over this threshold. Ain't no plague coming across this line right here. You can do it around your property line. You can go out to the street, do your property line and say, no plague's crossing this line. I just plead the blood of Jesus right here. It's a bloodline right here around my home, around my property, and the enemy can't cross the bloodline. Just plead the blood of Jesus. Amen. The enemy can't cross the bloodline. Let me tell you a story real quick before I move on. Um, those, well, let me say this. Those guys applied the blood of an animal. We got the blood of Jesus, which is way more powerful than the blood of an animal. Um, years ago... I've got triplet boys. They're 15 now, but when they were probably about four, um, three, four-year-old range, um, my wife called me. See, if they were three or four, then my daughter would have been, uh, they might have been five. She might have been around 10. I'm not sure the exact age. I guess that's not that important. But my wife called me. She said she was at Walmart. And that some uh, creeper was following her through Walmart. Just every aisle she went down, there he was. Just ever, just followed her all through the store, and she was purposely going different ways. And there he would be the whole time. So she called and said she didn't want to go out to her car because um, she was afraid he was going to follow her out there. So I'm at home with all the kids. At that time, all I had was a single cab truck. And I said, well, you don't go outside till I get there. So I stuffed all four kids and myself in a single cab truck. And, of course, thoughts are going through my mind. I'm thinking about what I'm fixing to do to somebody if they do follow my wife out to her car. And it wasn't anything nice, I can tell you, just being transparent with you. But um, the boys, you know, they're, they're, they like to rough house and wrestle around and, um, and uh, do what boys should be doing. And um, on the way up there, they're like, where are we going, Daddy? I said, we're going to Walmart. There's some man following your mom around, and we're going to go up there and make sure she's safe. Don't beat him up, Daddy. You're going, you know, you're going to do this or that? And I said, well, it's a good possibility. And um, they're like, yeah, beat him up, Daddy. You know, they're getting all excited. And, uh, and, and I, was, I was as well. My adrenaline was going, to be honest. And my daughter, who was just a little girl, 10-year-old, she said, Well, Daddy, all you got to do is just plead the blood of Jesus. Mm. All you got to do is just plead the blood of Jesus around Mama because the enemy can't cross the bloodline and, and that man won't be able to cross the bloodline. So that was like getting hit between the eyes of a sledgehammer, talking about applying your faith, um, the faith of a child, and of course, that changed my attitude pretty quick. Now, we still went on up there, but uh, we just played the blood of Jesus over and everything come out fine. But anyway, there's power in the blood of Jesus is what I'm trying to say. You plead the blood of Jesus around your property, around your home, and you quote scripture, say, a thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but no evils will come near my dwelling. Why? Because I plead the blood of Jesus. And it can't come up in here. That's what I said. This is my house. This is my family. I'm the man of this house, and I'm pleading the blood because he gave you the authority to use the name of Jesus. Uh, so use the authority that's been given to you. Amen? So let's see where we're going. Um, the, yeah, so the, the children of Israel, here they are. The, the blood's been applied. All the firstborn in the land 
has been killed. There's, there is, I mean, they are a wailing and crying, you can imagine. Um, even though they're evil, wicked people, they still love their children, and now all the firstborn's dead. And the firstborn means the firstborn. It don't matter if you're 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, you died that night. So there's dead people everywhere. And it says that the children of Israel plundered the Egyptians. What that means is silver and gold. And you can read in Psalms, I think it's 105 and 37, if I'm not mistaken, but it says that uh, they were delivered uh, with silver and gold, no feeble among their tribes. That's talking about this right here. They were delivered out of bondage with silver and gold. That's because they plundered the Egyptians. They were slaves and they left out rich with silver and gold and all these fine linens. I mean, literally left out rich. In fact, if you read on down in Exodus, I believe it's in about the Exodus 36, if memory serves me correctly, but um, they're building the sanctuary and people are bringing in offerings so they can get this thing built. And Moses stands up before them and says, don't bring in any more. Don't bring in any more. We can't possibly use any more. We've got more than enough, so quit bringing your offerings. And that's something you'll never hear a preacher say. I mean, in all my life, I've never heard a preacher stand up and say, Hey, church, uh, we've, we've uh, exceeded the federal insured limit there at the bank. Uh, the bank's called and said, We can't deposit another dime, so y'all just don't give another dime. I've never heard that. But, um, and you're not going to hear it today either. I think I heard amen. I'm just messing with y'all. But they leave out rich. No feeble among their tribe. That means they're not sick. Now, they're out here in this wilderness. He's promised them the land. It's called Canaan land, the land that's flowing with milk and honey. He says, it's yours. Go take the land. Go possess the land. It belongs to you. Go get it. So anyway, here, here these guys leave out of Egypt. They're, they've got all this silver and gold and all these things. I mean, like I said, they're slaves. Now they're leaving out with all the livestock. They've got everything. And they reach the Red Sea. But the Egyptians have now decided to come and to kill them. So they're coming for the attack. They're pursuing them. And as soon as they get to the Red Sea, people start saying, we should have just stayed slaves. We should have just stayed back there and lived our lives out in slavery and just died in Egypt. Well, as the story goes, God parts the Red Sea for them. They walk through on dry land, and then the Egyptians try to cross the sea, and the sea closes back in, drowns all of them. Uh, the horses, chariots, everything's underwater. And here... They've been delivered over on dry ground, uh, safe and sound and loaded with money. So they're out here in this wilderness for 40 years. Um, it should have just been a, about a week and a half journey, but it ended up taking them 40 years. They never do go in and possess the land that, uh, or the first generation never goes in and possesses this land that had already been given to them. So God provides them food. Manna rains down from heaven. Uh, he provides clouds by day to protect them from the sun. He provides a fire by night to give them light and food. Their clothes don't wear out. Their shoes never wear out. I mean, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And so they get there and they send some spies into the land. First of all, they shouldn't even send any spies into the land. He said, go take the land. He didn't say go spy it out and go check it out and go see if it's possible, what you need to do. He just said go possess it, it's yours. God says go possess it, it's yours, and that means go possess it, it's yours. That's, just, that's something that you and I can apply to our lives right here, right now. And he tells them to go into the land. Now, 12 spies go into the land. 
and they check it out. And they come back. And there was uh, ten of the spies that had a bad report, had an evil report, and two spies had a good report. Now the ten, ten spies with the evil report said that there's giants in the land, um, that the land is indeed, it's flowing with milk and honey, no doubt, and talked about all the vineyards and these big houses. Now you're talking about big houses that are built by giants. There's some sure enough big houses. They had ten foot ceilings back then before we did. Um, you're talking about a king-sized bed. They had a bed built for a giant. So all this land was built. All these homes were built. The children of Israel didn't have to work for any of them. All they had to do was go in and possess it. And it's just like Jesus Christ going to the cross for us. He did the work for us. All we've got to do is receive what he did. Amen. So these ten spies come back, and they said, we're just like little grasshoppers. We can't do this. And everybody starts crying. Oh, God's brought us this far. He brought us all the way out here in the wilderness just to let us die, just to kill us. We're just going to die out here. and We should have just stayed back in Egypt. When, I mean, at least we had cucumbers to eat, and we're just going to die out here. And They're crying about cucumbers, and God's trying to give them an entire pickle factory. They're just uh, too blind to see it. But the ten are crying. And they're whining, and they're murmuring, and they're complaining, and they're saying it's just too much. We just can't do it. But Joshua and Caleb have a different spirit. And they speak up, and they just say, we are well able. Now, Joshua and Caleb never said, that's not true. There's not giants in the land. They knew there was giants in the land. They weren't, they weren't uh, denying that there was giants in the land. There were indeed giants in the land. But God said, you are well able to go in and possess the land that's yours. I've given it to you. It's yours. Go possess it. Go take it. So they weren't denying that there weren't giants in the land. Let me tell you, uh, we're not denying that the coronavirus is in the land. I was thinking about that this morning. I'm not denying it. I know it's real. Um, there's doctors all over the country that are testing and saying, um, that the coronavirus is indeed, it's a, it's a real thing. So I'm not, I'm not denying that the coronavirus is real no more than Joshua and Caleb were denying that the giants were in the land. But see, the ten came back with the evil report and they said, we just can't do it. We just can't do it. When Joshua and Caleb spoke up and said, we can do it, they were gathered together, uh, gathered around and ready to stone them to death. And I see that happening now too. If you say, well, I'm not in fear of this Corona and it doesn't scare me. People are just like, uh, yeah, they're ready to stone you. They think you should be at home hiding in the closet with a Walmart bag tied around your head like everybody else. But I want you to see what kept them from getting into the land. You know what kept them from getting into the land? Themselves. Themselves. What they were speaking and what was coming out of their mouth, their own fear, their own belief, their own doubt. They weren't standing on what God told them on the Word, their own fear, they taught themselves out of it. And you know what you can do, and what I can do, and what any human being can do? Talk yourself out of what belongs to you. The Word of God plainly tells us that healing belongs to us. The Word of God plainly tells us that power and authority has been given to us to lay hands on the sick so they shall recover, and to cast out demons and evil spirits, that we can use the name of Jesus, that we can plead the blood of Jesus, that by His stripes we were healed. That's what the Word of God tells us. But, you know, you can speak something contrary. And all they were looking at was the giants. How bad it was. How bad it is. How terrible it is. You know what? You can get on Facebook and you can look 
You can get on the news and you can look at how bad it is and how terrible it is and how bad it is and how terrible it is. Lord, they report every time somebody gets it and just about gives you their address. They want everybody to be in, uh, informed of who's got this thing. If you're on Facebook and every time you, you see that someone's um, got this virus and it, it, it's, it's stirring up fear, quit looking at it. Quit looking at it. Quit, quit looking at it. Just cut it off and quit looking at it. It's not going to studying on it and focusing on it and drawing all your attention to it. It's not helping anything. It's increasing fear in your life. Um, we all know that there's corona out there, don't we? So the, the more you watch and the more you study and the more you look and see all the symptoms and the more you stay focused on it, all that's doing is just building up fear in your heart. And that's the same thing as what's going on with the children of Israel. They were spreading out the camp. They were all talking and they were all talking about how big the giants were. Oh, it's a good land, but the giants are there. We'll never be able to take it. The only thing that kept them out of the promised land was their own mouths. But Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit. And they said, we are well able. And that's the spirit you and I need to have today. And say, yeah, Corona's real. But guess what? We're, we're well able. You know why we're well able? Because our God's way bigger than the coronavirus. And the blood of Jesus is way more powerful than the coronavirus. Amen. Now, if you're an unbeliever, if you don't believe in God, then uh, I'll just say this. You have to creak without a paddle because you don't have anything to stand on. Uh, if you're standing on your education or your, your own knowledge or what you think this or that, it's not going to hold, but there's one thing that will always hold. There's one thing that will never change, and that's the Word of God. It's the same yesterday, today, forever. And if God promised it then, it's a promise now. And thank God for, thank the Lord, thank you, Jesus, for the promises that He's given each and every one of us. Amen. So, in the book of Proverbs, um, in the 18th chapter, Proverbs 18:21. I'm just going to turn there. I know what it says. I've quoted it a thousand times, but I'm just going to turn to it. Proverbs 18:21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Whose tongue? Your tongue. That means your words carry weight in your life. And I know people like to say, well, well God's in control. Whatever His will is. Well, let me, let's stop right there for a moment. God's not in control unless you get, give Him control. In fact, you're in control. You're in control of you. If God was in control, He would make each and every person be a born-again believer and go to heaven. And you would do His perfect will every day in your life. But in fact, you're in control. You're in control of you. What comes out of your mouth is what you're in control of. The thoughts you think of is what you're, you're in control of that. Your actions, you're in control of that. And if you... Um, Come to the, the feet of Jesus and lay your life down. Guess what? You're in control. It's a choice. It's a choice. So we can't just say we're just going to sit back on the couch, relax, or I'm just going to go out and let somebody with corona sneeze in my face and just say, well, God, you're in control of the situation. No. You and I, that's why we're here on earth. I'm in control of me. And I make decisions and I make choices and I can choose to speak life or I can choose to speak death. I can choose to plead the blood of Jesus over the doorpost of my home or I can choose to wrap all my kids up in um, a face mask and gloves and just be scared, tell them not to touch anything or go outside because the corona is going to get us and we're all going to die. 
That's what the children of Israel, that's what those ten spies basically did. They came back and said, well, the land's big and it's fruitful and there's flowing milk and honey, but there's corona over there, so we're going to have to just stay in the house, put our masks and gloves on. We can't go outside because we're all going to die. No, that's not not what we're to do. We're not denying that the giants aren't in the land. We're not denying that corona's not real, but we're just, uh, instead of focusing on how big the problem is, we're just looking at how big God is. Amen. Amen. And they're talking about death. They got death on the brain. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. Isn't it amazing if you look at the story, all the miracles, all the plagues, the blood plied to the doorpost, the parting of the Red Sea. That's pretty amazing. Manna raining down from heaven. They're eating quail. Their shoes aren't wearing out. They got clouds protecting them from the sun. They got fire by night. Miracle after miracle for all these years, all these things happen. I mean, they go from straight up pure slavery to out here with silver and gold. People aren't sick. Um, miracles. Miracles after miracles. And then they get to this one thing we're all going to die. We're all going to die. We're doomed. God brought us all the way out here to kill us. And I always think that's just crazy because we're on this side of the story looking back at it. But we're doing the same thing. We're doing the same thing. People are in such fear right now. This nation's driven by fear everywhere. Everybody's scared, terrified. Oh, my gosh, the corona, and we're all going to die. And they're talking about that, comparing it to that black plague back in the early 1900s. And, oh, this is the end of us, and we're all doomed. Stop just for a minute and think about all that God's brought you through, all the miracles He's brought you through. He's saved my life multiple, multiple times. I've got four children that are here, three of which uh, shouldn't be here. They were born premature, and the doctors gave us bad report after bad report after bad report, but we didn't accept any of the bad reports. All we accepted was the report of the Lord, and we spoke life over them, and they're all healthy and fine, and doing just great miracles in my life financially when I didn't even know um dude I had to I mean scrape I had to raise my seat up my truck and find some quarters and nickels and dimes under the seat so I could buy a five dollar little Caesar pizza one time to feed the kids and hope they saved me a piece of crust so broke I mean broke and then you know the next day walk out to your mailbox to get the mail to get some more bills out of there that you couldn't pay and uh be $500 cash sitting in the mailbox in an envelope that's unmarked. Miracle. That's a miracle. I didn't even tell anybody I needed money. But God knew that I needed it. And I could go on with story after story after story of miracles of my life. And um, if you uh, think you haven't seen a miracle, you need to walk outside and look around. That's for sure. Most of you men out there need to go look at your wife and compare her face to yours, and that'd be a miracle alone right there. That's what I do. I heard a lot of amens on that. But miracles. God's never left us, and He's never forsaken us. Why would He do it now? Why in the world would He do it now? Well, He's not. We've got to get out of this spirit of fear and stand on faith, church. We need to have the same spirit that Joshua and Caleb had that said that we're at, we're well able. We're well able. We're at well able. And you notice God says to go in and possess it. He didn't say just sit back at the house and wait for it to come to you. But he says go in and possess the land to go in and take it. I provided it for you. It's there, the land flowing with milk and honey. Now you go in and possess and take what's yours. 
You know what that says to you and me, to you and I? That we need to go in and possess and take what's ours. You need to get in this word and take what's yours. Healing belongs to you. Authority belongs to you. Uh, the blood of Jesus, it belongs to you. All these things that we've mentioned this morning, they all belong to you. And uh, we need to go in and possess them, go in and take them. Talk about the will of God. Some people talking about the will of God and is this the will of God and you never know the will of God. If you think for a second that it's the will of God to wipe everybody out or even wipe anybody out with corona, you're mistaken. You don't know what God's will is because he, the word of God says that Jesus was sent to us to give us Life, not death, but to give us life and give it more abundantly. The thief, however, he came to kill, steal, and destroy. So when you see things being killed, dying, uh, destroyed, uh, stealing going on, uh, that's the work of the enemy. So don't give God the credit for the work of Satan. Corona is absolutely the work of Satan, no doubt about it. Any disease, God's not sending disease on you to kill you. You could have, same thing with the children of Israel. Why would he have brought you this far in life just to take you out with corona? Dear Lord, the people that think corona is the will of God, uh, just so confused and so, you just don't know who God is. He gives life and gives it more abundantly. Go read it. It's John 10, 10. You need to put that one on the refrigerator. In fact, you need to have it written in your heart because... Satan wants to come and steal, to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to come and steal the word from you. But when you have the word hidden in your heart, he can't steal it from you. Amen. That's where the word needs to be. There's a lot of words on people's refrigerators. There's some cool bumper stickers out there, and I see some cool Facebook posts. But that word needs to be inside your heart. And Satan can't take that word from you. And that's the word that we're going to stand on through this season. And, um, you know, I don't want to just keep going here. I think... uh, giving y'all a little bit of encouragement, I hope, this morning um, to not be like the ten spies and not to be dwelling and looking and stressing and worrying and talking fear and talking doubt and uh, just like they did um, with the giants in the land. But to be like Joshua and Caleb and say, we're well able. We are well able. It's not because you're nothing special because I'm anything special, but it's because there's something special that's on the inside of you, and it's called the power of God. In fact, it's the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead that dwells on each inside of every believer. Amen. That's what makes you special. That what, that's what makes you somebody. You know, M.C. Hammer uh, sang, the, sang this song years ago, and I used this in a sermon years ago. Um, I won't sing you the song, but... Um, you remember he sang that song, Can't Touch This. Well, that's the attitude you need to have. You can't touch this. Corona can't touch this. Sickness and disease and plagues and all that stuff can't touch this. Why? Because I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. And the power of God dwells on the inside of me. And there's a bloodline that's been poured across my head and over my body and around my property. And uh, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and can't touch this. Satan can't touch this. Satan can't cross the threshold. That's the attitude you need to have. Don't just sit in hiding. You need to speak against this thing. You need to be in prayer and you need to be speaking words uh, of life. Like we read in Proverbs eighteen twenty one. life and death and the power of your tongue. Right there, your little tongue is the most powerful part of your whole entire body. You can go read in the book of James where it talks about your tongue sets the whole forest on fire, directs the course of a ship, well, your tongue is going to direct the course of your life. And you go look at those ten spies, how their tongue 
changed the whole course of their lives. In fact, the whole entire generation had to die before Joshua and Caleb could go in and possess the land 40 years later. Now, I like what Caleb said. He said, I'm old. I'm an old man now, but I feel just as good right now as I did 40 years ago. Let me go get them. And he went and got them. He went and possessed the land. And they went in and lived off the land. Now, we want to be Joshua and Caleb in this story, if you hadn't figured that out by now. But just to say we're well able. We can do this. And we're not denying that it's not real. We're just, a, we're just uh, uh, not talking about how big the mountain is. We're just telling the mountain how big God is. And speaking of mountains, I'll close with this. If you're at home and you've got your Bible, you need to get it out. And you need to go to Mark, the 11th chapter. And you need to open it up and go to the 22nd verse. Mark 11, 22. You need to do this right here. I'm going to read it to you. This is one you need written in your heart, absolutely. The 22nd verse says, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God that God will do what He said He would do. God has done what He said He would do, and God is greater than this virus or any other virus. God's bigger. God's greater. And have faith in God. That's where it starts, to have faith in the power of God. Amen. The 23rd verse, For assuredly I say to you, whoever, you're a whoever and I'm a whoever, so this applies to you, whoever says to this mountain... Let's just say the mountain is this coronavirus. The mountain can come in many shapes and sizes. It can be financial uh, situation. It can be a marriage situation. It can be kids not acting correctly. It can be a problem at work. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now you've got to get a hold of that. To speak to the mountain, tell it to be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. That's not your organ that pumps blood. That's the heart, like the heart of a watermelon. You know the good part? That's the heart of a man. You've got to believe in your heart. See, this word of God is not a head knowledge. If you try to read this with a head knowledge, it's not really going to make a whole lot of sense to you. You're not going to believe it. That's why a lot of people that don't believe it are only using a head knowledge. But this is something you've got to believe in your heart. Like you love someone with all of your heart. You can't even describe how much you love them. Like you love your wife or your children. It's with all your heart. Your innermost being. Everything that you got, you love them. You know, jump out in front of a truck and die for them. Without hesitation kind of thing. <clears throat> you got to believe. Not doubt in your heart. But you believe that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now notice, you believe the things that you say will be done first. And then you'll have whatever you say second. So if you're going to wait to see if you have it before you believe it, that's not faith. Anybody can do that. That's like saying, do I believe I'm holding a bottle of water? Well, absolutely, because I'm holding this bottle of water. And now I'm drinking this bottle of water. It's good. It doesn't take any faith because I'm sitting here looking at it. But faith calls things that are not as though they were. Just like uh, when God was speaking to Abraham, Abraham calling things that are not as though they were. And you and I have to call things that are not as though they were. 
What sense does that make? Well, it makes a lot of sense. If you go outside in your front porch to feed your dog and he's not there, do you call him? Well, if he was laying there, you wouldn't have to call him. Because he's laying there, you can just give him a snack. But if he's run off somewhere, you start whistling, you start calling for him to come. Call things are not as though they were. You're calling them in. That's why we're calling in healing. So if you're seeing something in your life or we're seeing sickness in this land that we live in or seeing fear at an all-time high, we're speaking against it. And we're, we're, we're calling in healing and we're calling in peace and we're calling in joy and we're calling in happiness and we're calling in uh, life and not death. Amen? And it says, he will have whatever he says. So you're going to have to believe in your heart and speak with your mouth and believe that you receive it, and then you'll have it. So we, we say, seeing is believing. That's not faith. That's walking by sight, not walking by faith. And if you're walking by sight right now, I know you're scared, and I know you're terrified, and you, don't, you think you, you have no idea what's going to happen. Because everywhere you look is fear, 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 how bad it is, how many people's got it, you going to get it, we all going to get it, how, how bad it is. Don't walk by sight, walk by faith. What if Jesus had walked by sight? It didn't look very good for him, did it? That he had faith that God was going to do what God said he would do, and God said he was going to raise him from the dead three days later, and that's what he did. Amen. You know, Jesus had faith all the way to death. All the way to death. Therefore I say to you, in the 24th verse, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Believe that you receive them and then you'll have them. Believe that you receive and then you'll have it. It's not have it and then believe it, but it's believe it and then you'll have it. So this morning, we've got to open our mouths. We've got to speak to the mountain. We've got to believe that we're going to receive it. And then we're going to have it. We've got to stand in faith together right here. The body of Christ needs to come together and forget about denominations. Forget about who believes what and uh, who thinks this and who thinks that. I think we can all agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He went to the cross and died for each and every one of us. And I think we can all agree that God doesn't want any of us to be sick uh, with corona and uh, definitely not die with corona. I think we can all agree to that regardless of what denomination that you are. So this is a time where the body of Christ needs to come together. And we need to be believing together and standing against this thing. And uh, how many minutes have we been going here? I don't know. Can't tell. Don't matter. 50? Wow. Seems like about 10 minutes to me. Well, we'll wrap her up. And I hope you all got something out of it. Um, if the if what you're seeing on the news is scaring you, quit watching it. Like I said, you know it's you know the corona's out there. What watching it is just like breeding more fear, stirring up fear. What you need to do is spend that time in the Word of God, reading scriptures. Just Google scriptures on faith and Google scriptures on healing. And what you want to do is not stir up the fear, but stir up the faith. Amen. Amen. And. Whose report will you believe? Those ten spies believed an evil report. The reason it was evil is because it contradicted God's report. God said, that's the land flowing with milk and honey. You 
go in and you possess the land and they came back and said, the land's full of giants and we can't overcome it because they're too big for us. That's an evil report. What you're seeing out there right now, that Corona is bigger than God Almighty or more powerful than the blood of Jesus, that's an evil report. Don't believe that report. And just ask yourself this morning, whose report are you going to believe? Amen. See y'all, uh, I don't know. See you soon. Thank you for listening to this message from Seven Mile Ministry. 